The Morning Show. The Home Team. No, it's both. It's the crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brave. Crossover, step back! Ah! Right here on 960theref.com. What's up, Internet? Sam Franco, Chris Brain back with another exciting edition of the Crossover Podcast right here on 960theref.com. Plenty to get to today. In fact, on today's edition of the podcast, we are going to talk about the Bartolo Cologne situation and what will happen there. And we'll also hit on the renovations to Phillips Arena. Definitely interesting some of the things that uh, will be added over the course of the next year, year and a half. Uh, when they finally get that thing done. Uh, I'll just say this. Things to distract you from how bad the Hawks are going to actually be. Right. While they're tanking, you'll have other things you can pay attention to at Phillips if you you know bother to go to the games. Absolutely. But first and foremost, the big story here in Athens, the verbal commitment of five-star running back from Laurenburg, North Carolina, Scotland High School, Zamir White, and before we dive into White, I just want to say that Scotland High School's mascot is the Fighting Scots. That's very lazy on their part. They should have been the Highlanders. Like, why would you be the Fighting Scots? The Scotland Fighting Scots is redundant. Be the Scot- the, the Scotland High Highlanders. Right. Well, I mean, I think you should send them that uh, note and see if they change here for Zamir's senior <laughs> season. That's right, because yeah. it's uh, like in that video announcement they did on like the live stream, the guy was like, but hey, he'll still be a fighting Scott for one more year. <laughs> now that he's a Bulldog, though, I feel like, you know, he's – He's sort of like, now he's redshirting with us. So Mm -hmm. to me, I'm like, he needs to not get a lot of carries this year in (laughs) high school. That's right. So uh, hopefully he uh, stays injury free and comes in and and has that kind of impact that uh, a lot of Georgia fans think he can have. We were talking on the morning show to Jake Rowe earlier this week, and he kind of said he's that combination of like a Nick Chubb and a Sony Michelle. And and you're really going to get the best of, of both worlds there because he can you know, hit you with that power, but he's also got that game-breaking speed. So definitely looking forward to seeing Zamir White in person and, and on the field for the dogs. And it comes at a great time because, look, Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb, we hope they have tremendous seasons this year and, and take Georgia to great things. But they're going to be gone after this season, and that kind of competition for running back is definitely going to be there. Somebody's going to need to step up. And we saw both Todd Gurley and Nick Chubb have phenomenal freshman seasons in Athens, so can Samir White come in and be that kind of impact player? The dogs are also going to have DeAndre Swift in the fold, and let's not forget about Brian Harrion and Elijah Holyfield. So the dogs at the running back position, even after losing Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle, on paper look like they're going to be definitely a very good team at running the football for many years to come. Well, running back is the one spot. It's it's similar to the NFL, too, when guys from college become rookies. I mean, running back is the one spot where I think the transition from one level to the next is probably the the smoothest and, you know, for some maybe the, the easiest where – I, you know, it's easier for me to picture a freshman coming in and having a big impact for a team at running back more so than a guy that's a quarterback, as we experienced with Jacob Eason last year, or potentially with some of these offensive linemen that are going to be freshmen on this year's team. But uh, I mean, look at Florida State. Florida State loses Dalvin Cook to the NFL. They signed Cam Akers this past February. I mean, they're expecting him to just come and step right in and pick up where Dalvin Cook left off. And I think a lot of Georgia fans are going to be expecting similar things from uh, Zamir White. And 
Um, you know, it's just it's what you got to do in college football. You got to recruit, 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 and things have been kind of slow so far this year for 2018 recruiting for Georgia. So this was definitely a, uh, a big, big boost. And I mean, when you think about it, for Georgia to be running back you, mm-hmm. I mean, this is really one of the first times. I mean, obviously Herschel was one, but, um, you know, when has Georgia signed the nation's number one ranked running back? That's true. And even like when you go back to Todd Gurley and Keith Marshall, Keith Marshall was the one that people were more excited about coming out of high school than Todd Gurley. And obviously Todd Gurley proved a lot of people wrong in that regard. But it's just very exciting to have that, to have that five-star running back, the top running back in this class coming into Athens. And here's the thing, too. A lot of people have been worried that the 2018 class might not be as good as the 2017 class. The 2017 class was great for rebuilding the offensive line and doing some good things in in other spots in the field. But let's just throw a hypothetical out there. If Georgia gets Zamir White to sign, because, look, he's verbally committed right now. He seems like he's a guy that's pretty entrenched in in his commitment. But he's still got a sign on the line, which is dotted. So, if George is able to get him to sign and then go out and get one of these five-star quarterbacks, whether it's a Justin Fields or whether it's the uh, Corral kid from Long Beach out there in California who, who George is going to go hard after as well, if you have a five-star running back and a five-star quarterback, guys that are in the top ten in the country, at not just at their positions but overall, then regardless of how the rest of the class fills out, those are two of the most important positions on the field, particularly for a school like Georgia that likes to run the football. So – even if the numbers aren't as high as maybe the 2017 class in terms of the total number of commitments, if you get two stud five-star top ten players in the country, that's definitely going to be a, a very good recruiting class and continue to show that Kirby Smart is uh, is one of the best recruiters in the country. Well, yeah, and if if Justin Fields ends up signing with Georgia, that, uh, that would definitely be a, a pretty signature move by Kirby, seeing as how he had been committed to Penn State. Mm-hmm. And somehow, you know, Kirby was still able to go to work on him and uh, convince him to, to decommit. So, you know, there he is out there back on the uh, market. I sure hope he doesn't end up going to Florida. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's another thing. I, I don't know when Georgia has in one class signed a five-star quarterback and a five-star running back. Now, Georgia's had five-star quarterbacks and five-star running backs play together on teams. I mean, we've had Stafford and Oshon. We've had Aaron Murray, and for one season, Isaiah Crowell. We've had Aaron Murray and then Todd Gurley. So the key is if – and, I mean, even now, I mean, if, if, if whether Fields comes here or not, Georgia's got two five-star quarterbacks on its roster with Eason and Jake Fromm. So now with Zamir White, Georgia's going to um, – yeah, they're going to have five-star running backs. In fact, this year's team is going to have a five-star quarterback and a five-star running back. The key is, though, not to squander that talent, which unfortunately was uh, a position Georgia had found itself in uh, too often, and that's why Mark Richt is at Miami now and Kirby Smart is here. And Zamir White just uh, tweeted a pretty sweet, as we're doing this podcast, he tweeted out, and somebody that I finally retweeted it, it's a picture of him carrying a sledgehammer, and then he turns and his eyes turn red like a wolf. And then uh, the Georgia G pops up there. So, like I was saying a minute ago, it looks like Zamir White's commitment is pretty solid to Georgia, even if it is only a verbal commitment. So now the attention is turned to the quarterback position because, look, Georgia right now has two scholarship quarterbacks uh, on campus. Well, three if you count Bryce Ramsey, but you know he's kind of there just to, to to be that depth and to be that emergency quarterback. But you've got Jacob Beeson, you've got Jake Fromm. So if you can come in and get that big-time QB for 2018, 
and have three five-star quarterbacks on campus at the same time, which nobody's ever done, then Georgia's uh, recruiting is going to definitely be on the level of some of those great schools around the country, your Ohio State's your Alabamas, and right now you've got to throw Clemson into that category as well. Well, yeah, because they're going to follow up to Sean Watson and uh, and with Trevor Lawrence and add him into the uh, the mix there. But, yeah, I mean, it, it would feel then like Georgia would be on the verge of having the, the similar prob- problem that Ohio State had a couple of years ago, which was, um, okay, we've got these three all-star quarterbacks. Who's going to be the uh, uh, the starter? Was it Braxton Miller, Cardell Jones, and then, of course, JT Barrett, mm-hmm. who is still uh, – who's still there. So we'll see. I mean, the key with fields now to me is I, I feel like all of a sudden, like Georgia really is a big, uh, a, a big player for him. And it'd be great if the dogs could get him. But at the end of the day, I mean, the bigger deal would just be to keep him from going to Florida. Cause since Tim Tebow, I mean, Florida's had a hard, hard time at uh, quarterback and fields are definitely the biggest, uh, the biggest QB they've signed since Tebow. Yeah, no question about it. So keeping those players away, that's the thing about recruiting. It's kind of like, free agency like that we're hearing talked about a lot in the NBA right now where people are like, well, maybe you sign a guy not just to help your team out, but to hurt the other team, like an Andre Iguodala, for example. People are like, a lot of people are trying to go after Andre Iguodala, these championship contenders or teams that want to try to contend against Golden State. So they want to pull Andre Iguodala away. While it might not be the best signing you can make, at least it takes him away from Golden State. So that's kind of what we're talking about here in recruiting. It's like, man, if Georgia can get Justin Fields, that's a double whammy because it keeps him away from Florida. Yeah. All Iguodala does, if like if the Brooklyn Nets signed Iguodala, all, you're, do- nothing. all you're doing is helping Cleveland or San Antonio, or maybe now even Houston, though, because that right. Chris Paul deal is, uh, I think that's a pretty significant move in the West. Oh, yeah, it certainly is. And, uh, you know, we can transition there for just a second before we jump into the Braves. And, and that is a big move. And the funny story that came out about that was the whole um, dynamic between Chris Paul and Doc Rivers and how Doc Rivers might have had the opportunity to trade for Carmelo Anthony, but the Knicks wanted his son Austin, and he was like, no, I'm not doing that. And so the trade came off the table. So Chris Paul was really mad at Doc Rivers, and and you even read some reports that say it got so bad that Chris Paul now despises Doc Rivers. Yeah, that he hates not only Doc Rivers, but also Austin Rivers. Well, apparently Austin was walking around the Clippers facilities with an entitled attitude and things like that. And if you're the coach's kid, that never goes over well in a team. (laughs) But I'm telling you, the the impact Chris Paul has had – on the Clippers is every bit this the the impact that like LeBron has had on Cleveland even what we saw last year with Russell Westbrook in Oklahoma City I mean the Clippers are I believe that the it's the worst pro sports franchise ever they traded for him made the playoffs six years in a row and won 50 games the last five years Mm -hmm. and 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 the first year was there was a strike shortened season they won 40 that year that was probably going to be a 50 win team too yeah he just doesn't have the supporting cast that a LeBron has or that a Steph Curry has I mean Blake Griffin is, is one of the more overrated players in the NBA in my opinion and DeAndre Jordan is a good center but you know what people don't need right now a center I mean the 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 position is changing so uh, Chris Paul I certainly think can have that kind of an impact but getting to the Clippers and what you're talking about there they went from just being this joke of a franchise overall to the whole Donald Sterling mess and now they have some success but then this happens with like Doc Rivers being not only is he the coach he's also the president of basketball operations so he has final say on all this stuff and it's like 
You chose your son over the possibility of adding Carmelo Anthony to your team, which would have made you a lot more of a contender than you were. It's like that. That's ridiculous. Well, and also keeping your star player uh, mm-hmm. happy and not having him bolt because now, I mean, the Clippers are just back to being a, a morbid franchise again because that's the kind of impact that Paul has. And because um, he's, I mean, he's in the. And I know he's one of those guys. He hadn't won the MVP, hadn't been to the finals, mm-hmm. hasn't hasn't won a championship, and all that. So it's easy just to dismiss him. But I mean, if you're putting together your top five right now, um, LeBron, Durant, Paul's on there. He's my point guard. Kawhi Leonard is uh, is definitely in there too. So um, that's the kind of impact that Paul had. When you just you look at the, it's not a coincidence that he showed up there in L.A. and suddenly the Clippers were a, a respectable franchise after being. I mean, they've made the playoffs seven times all time in their history. They've made it six years in a row now with him. Although, don't tell that to Dan Dockich, who called uh, Chris Paul a fraud. Yeah, okay. Uh. <laughs> all right. Just, I would tell Dan Dockich, I would like to think he'd know more about the NBA than I do, but I would just tell him to go and look at the Clippers franchise before Chris Paul and then during Chris Paul and, uh, you know, tell me that he's a fraud. Okay. All right. We'll uh, transition here to Bartolo Colon, who – Made a start for the Braves again. We record this on Thursday, so he made a start Wednesday night, and he was terrible. I mean, yeah, just he didn't just, last uh, long. No, he lasted four innings. He gave up what six runs on uh, eight hits. And the thing about this start for me was the body language was just of a guy who gives zero bleeps. Like he doesn't care about any of this. Like he would give up a hit, give up a run, or whatever and just have the same look on his face as he did after he struck someone out. Like, he doesn't care anymore. I mean, the guy's making 12, I think $12.5 million this year to be on the Braves. And at this point, the Braves would be better off just paying him to not pitch anymore. Right. Well, and that's that's probably why he was so nonchalant, just because he knows that uh, even if he gets fired, the Braves still owe him all the money that they uh, that they promised him and signed to and agreed to in the uh, in the contract. But you know, I asked uh, the other day, you know, should I should I should I begin to t- start taking the Braves seriously? I mean, prior to last night's loss, they, they're getting close to 500. I guess they're three back now. I mean, again, at the time we're recording this, after losing to the uh, to the Padres so they're three below 500 now and uh, you know do I need to start taking them seriously but uh, I will only if they don't send Bartolo Colon to the mound anymore because if they're taking it seriously then they they cannot let him pitch any longer and then I mean, what do you do you're gonna send Sean Newcomb back down right now if the Braves made the playoffs and he's the game one starter oh Newcomb. yeah he's been the best pitcher and I think that you know uh, it's funny Almost like R.A. Dickey has been one of their better pitchers. Julio Tehran's been awful at SunTrust Park. Right now, he's the new worst pitcher on the rotation. Jaime Garcia's been okay. I mean, he hadn't been great. He hadn't been terrible. His and last Mike, two starts have stunk. And Mike yeah. Fultonevich is just inconsistent. So, yeah. yeah, I agree with you. I think Sean Newcomb is the best thing you got going right now. He's the now. ace of the staff right now at the moment. Like, right now, if the Braves are like, listen, it's do or die. You have to win one game. There's no doubt that he's the starting pitcher for it. Yeah, and, and here's the thing, too. There, some rumors have resurfaced that Atlanta is going after or wants to go after some of these starting pitchers that might not be on great teams that they could probably work out a deal with. And the guys that are being mentioned right now are Oakland Sonny Gray, who Atlanta will see Friday night when they take on the, the A's in Oakland. Uh, you've also got Chris Archer from the Rays, and you've got the, uh, the, the Quintana guy from the White Sox. So there are three kind of – 
I don't know if I'd say front-line starting pitchers, but definitely three pitchers that are very good, and a guy like Archer has a very, very friendly contract. So the Braves are going to be out there possibly putting some feelers and trying to see what it would take to get some of those guys. And if you're trying to build for next year and to be a good team next year, you're going to have to do something about the pitching. So if you can get one of these guys right now, you're going to have to give up some pieces, but that's why you build your farm system to be as good as the Braves is right now because you have to use those pieces to get sometimes proven effective starters. Right now, what's on the farm, though, besides pitching? I know Ozzie Albies is still there. Yeah, I mean, but... Ozzie's there, and then you know you have some guys like Rio Ruiz who's come up and shown that he can at least play at the big league level. So there are some guys at that level that you could give up, but it is mainly pitching, and that's the thing. If you're going to acquire a proven starting commodity, then you're going to have to give up some of those young pitching prospects to get that. Right. I guess it's – well, I mean, I I guess between the Rays, the White Sox, and then the A's – None of them are contending. Right. I guess if any of them were, they wouldn't be looking to dump their uh, their pitching. But So it's just, like, interesting, like, what the Braves have to offer in return with these veterans that are in the lineup right now. Like, none of those teams would really be interested in one of them. Like, we need to add a bat – for the playoff run because again Matt Adams is still potentially a piece out there but I don't know the Braves right now are really kind of a it's confusing to me because they've done so much to add all this young pitching over the course of the last couple of seasons with various trades they just drafted Kyle Wright from Vandy and now yeah there's the thought of uh, of adding some other arm into the rotation but um well, it's like, are you a buyer or a seller? And I think the Braves are kind of both. But I just, but I look at the lineup now, and I'm like, well, what's the, what exactly is the, the down the line thinking and the big picture thinking with the lineup? Because you've got right now your corner outfielders are two thirty somethings. Um, you know, you've you've added Brandon Phillips at second, who's thirty six years old. I mean, catcher between, I mean, Flowers is actually having a nice season. By the way, nice lump he had on his arm after getting hit the other day. But you know, Flowers and Suzuki are, are not long-term answers at catcher um I really I I don't like the idea of moving Freeman to third base like this is going to be his permanent place the future of the franchise right um I mean I I get he's being the team player right now but I just I'm not I'm not convinced that the Matt Adams we've seen for the last month is really going to be the future Matt Adams you know like was it uh, past results do not guarantee uh, future returns? Right, and that's the thing. But, like, you can't just go all you know crazy about what Matt Adams has done because this is the best run of his career by far. Yes. So there's no evidence that he's going to be able to maintain this. Like, he's his career high in home runs, I believe, is 17. I mean, he's almost he's hit. Is it 12 already? Yes. With, in like a month with Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's 28. I don't know. Maybe all of a sudden the, the light bulb went off and he's hit his prime and, you know, Atlanta just got an absolute steal here. I, I, mean, I hope that is the, uh, the case, but I just don't know that I would be betting on that for the future. Right. So that's why I think you just have to sell high and his stock will never be higher than it is right now, particularly for an American League team because he's not a guy that can – play any other position really other than first base but if you take him to an American League team he can slide right in at DH and just hit away yeah I saw the National League just needs to get rid of the pitcher hitting too and and join the DH party I mean we offense is better anyway who wants to see that pitcher come up and hit you're preaching to the choir right here (laughs) and Dave and I talk about this in the morning show sometimes it's like Dave just wants both leagues to have the same rule and I'm like well the American League's never going to the pitching or the pitcher's batting rule so, yes, the entire league needs to adopt 
the dang DH because you have basically two different ways to play right. the sport, and it, and one is at a distinct disadvantage, and that's the National League. Right. I mean, that's that's why, you know, when, when the interleague play rolls around, like, boy, the American League really has an upper hand there. It's like, well, yeah, because they've got a roster spot already designated for a guy just to hit. I mean, mm-hmm. that's why they're not – the American League's definitely not walking back because the Players Association is like, well, then we're losing jobs. Right. Um, so if anything happens, yeah, the, the National League will eventually come around. But, um, like you know, like a lot of stuff with uh, – with sports too and uh, most of the resistance it seems to like the nationally going to the to a dh or potentially adopting a dh is just kind of like well no because it's always had the pitchers hit well like okay that's i mean that's not a a great reason maybe there is a more strategy on the manager's part but i'd prefer to take the strategy out of the manager's hands anyway baseball guy and i say that in air quotes i'm talking about the guy that sits there on his typewriter and and yearns for the good old days uh, watch, likes to watch Tom Brokaw spiel off about ba- you know Babe Ruth from back in the day. Like that guy drives me crazy with this. Well, it's about the strategy and da da da. It's like nobody wants to see that anymore. It's 2017. Right. I mean, here's, <laughs> like, a, here's yeah. I mean, here's the thing you like realize: <laughs> the National League. That's the only baseball you watch where the pitcher hits. If oh, you yeah. watch college baseball. You don't see the pitcher hit unless it's a really good pitcher, yeah. like, like like a Tim Hudson or something like that who yeah, the hit the pitcher what, like, DH. Right, right. I mean, but there's a DH. The pitcher doesn't have to hit in college. No, the no. American League, no. Uh, minor league baseball, no. So, you know, even if you, I mean, so does that mean if you love the pitching, if you love the pitcher hitting because of the strategies? I mean, National League baseball is the only baseball you watch. Yeah, that's a good point because it has just gotten to a point where. You know, these pitchers can't hit. You know, Bartolo Colon hit a home run last year. He's now the oldest player in Major League history to ever hit his first home run. So it's like, yeah, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. But at this point, yeah, there's no reason to have pitchers batting, make everything the same, uniform across both leagues. There's just no reason. It's like, that's the thing. The National League and American League, yeah, were once, like, you know, separated. Now they're in the same league. Yeah, they had separate umpires and everything. But like, to, as, a, as a Braves fan, would you rather the Braves have it dip, have an easy solution to this Matt Adams problem, or one where it's like, well, maybe we've got to put Freeman, we got to move our, we got to move the the cornerstone of our franchise and have him play a new position because we like what this Matt Adams is doing and we want to lose him in the lineup. But the reason you're in that pickle is because you know you have to have a pitcher bat. Well, right, and that's the thing. Like, what if Freddie Freeman moves to third base, has some struggles playing the position defensively, and that creeps into his head at the plate? That's yeah. like worst case scenario. Then he goes back to first, and then you got to get rid of Adams or petition for the DH. Right, but that's the thing. If the National League had the friggin' DH, this would not be a you problem. Wouldn't have the problem exactly. I know. So it's just ridiculous. But we'll see what ends up happening with Bartolo Colon, and we'll see what ends up happening with the Braves. I'm very intrigued by what they're going to do around the trade deadline, and and really see what this team wants to do. Are they uh, are they con- trying to contend? Are they trying to be good now? Keep in mind, they're not completely out of things in the playoff push. I know that the the Nationals have a somewhat substantial lead, but in the wild card, you know, anything's possible. So that's the thing. Does this team think they can linger around enough to do something, or do they start selling? We'll find out here in a couple weeks. But I, for one, don't think Matt Adams is the future. And the moving of Freddie Freeman to third base, to me, just seems like a a dumb thing to do. Well, I mean, the schedule's going to get a lot tougher next month. Atlanta's only played 20 games this year against teams that are better than 500. Um, 
So that's not a lot. And, you know, they've done well, obviously, against the sub-500 teams. That's why their record overall is so close to 500. But, um, you know, we'll, st- we'll see in July because the Cubs are rolling in. you got the Astros coming up. I think the, the Diamondbacks and Dodgers are on the schedule next month. And uh, every one of those teams is, uh, is better than 500 right now. Right. So we'll see what ends up happening there. We'll uh, switch to one more topic here on the crossover podcast, 960theref.com. Sam Franco, Chris Brame here with you. The Atlanta Hawks are going to be terrible for the next couple of years. You would good. Think. I applaud them for that. Yeah, they needed to do that. I mean, you're not going to beat Golden State. You're not going to beat Cleveland. There's probably some other teams you're not going to beat as well. So, yeah, go ahead and hit that reset button. And one thing that they're trying to do to entice you to come to the arena while they're terrible is renovate Phillips Arena. And that they are going to do. Some of these renovations look really cool. They're going to have a courtside bar. They're going to have like widened concourses. They're they're taking out that like giant wall of suites, you know, that that is on one side of Phillips Arena. So they're trying to make it look a lot cooler. And they're adding two very unique things. Well, first of all, they're going to have a Zach Brown social club. So like the Zach Brown band, uh, I guess, is sponsoring this. And it's like a bar that you can go and hang out in there. And I think that's kind of cool. That Country cortisol. music and the NBA really seem to go hand in hand. Well, <laughs> there there is a, a, a maybe a little bit of a conflict there. But, you know, you're trying to appeal to multiple sets of fans. Sure. So I get that. You're also going to have a swag shop, which is the barbershop, I think, chain owned by ATL's own Killer Mike of Run the Jewels and also his association with Outkast. So that barbershop is going to have a window that overlooks the court. So you can see the game while you get a haircut. And then the thing that I think is the most intriguing is if you're familiar with the Top Golf brand, uh, which is a pretty cool, like, updated take on a driving range, basically. It's got, like, a bar. Uh, you get, like, a bay, and you get to, like, play all these different, like, mini games involving golf. Well, Top Golf is sponsoring two suites at Phillips Arena that will be – uh, golf simulator suite so you can like book those and then head to the stadium a couple hours early hit the old simulator and uh, and have yourself a good old time at the Hawks game and that's the thing it looks like the Hawks are going to need things to distract you from paying attention to what's actually going on on the court during this reset mode but I feel like to to steal the the phrase that the the Falcons have coined here now or not coined but are also borrowing I guess from the armed forces embrace the suck yes um I feel like as Hawks fans you st- you need to go out to Phillips Arena and watch Hawks games because like I almost feel like I'm I'm obligated to because I believe the Hawks have needed to just go ahead and accept the fate and stink getting the lottery so you know, we probably should show up to the games then, right? Yes. Like, if the arena's empty and it's like, well, because the team stinks, but it's like the team's stinking because that's what the team needs to do. So, Well, like, I support the team now that they're doing this more than I did when they weren't doing this. Me, uh, and, me too. And when they were trying to put perfume on a skunk by signing Dwight Howard and, and just – Oh, that was so terrible. I'm so glad that I got rid of Dwight Howard just because that was never going to make you good or make you good enough to compete with the championship caliber teams. So, yes, I am much more happy about the direction of the franchise right now than I was going into last season. Yeah, because we're potentially finally going to see something uh, different. Because the, the, the bottom line is, and my like my analysis of the Hawks draft last week was, Okay, we'll see, but the biggest problem with it was none of those were lottery picks. Nope. And so they got three players, none in the lottery, so the chances of any of those guys really – and right now Atlanta 
Atlanta's got one lottery pick on its roster, and that's Tory and Prince. Mm-hmm. And you just look at every team that wins, wins championships, gets to the championships. Those teams have multiple lottery picks on their rosters. And so Atlanta's got to get there. And Howard's gone. Millsap's probably on his way out. The team should stink, but you should probably still go and support it because it's what needs to be done. But uh, it is good that since the product is going to be so bad, you know, you can get a haircut or play some golf while you're there. That's right. And Torian Prince showed some promise. He showed some flashes at times this past season. I think he can be a good player for the Hawks. And I'll say this about the draft picks from this season. John Collins was first team all ACC. I know he won a lottery pick, but I think there's some promise there. And I also think Tyler Dorsey was Oregon's best player in their run in the NCAA tournament. I mean, he was knocking down threes, got shot like 43% from three over the course of the season. So there is some reason to be optimistic about those picks, and and hopefully they end up being good players for the Hawks. But, yeah, I mean, right now it's Dennis Schroeder and Kent Bazemore, and it looks like they're going to let Paul Millsap walk. And the, the thing about letting Paul Millsap walk, it's the right decision. There's no question about that. You can't give him a $200 million contract. Why the heck didn't you trade him at the deadline? Yeah, I mean, I, I well, I guess the, the reason is because they still had another GM who was probably, at that time, trying to preserve his job. Well, the and, GM was basically Coach Bud. I mean, Wes yeah. Wilcox was the GM, but Coach Bud kind of had all those personnel decision-making powers. Right. And so Coach Bud is thinking, well, we, uh, you know, Millsap gives us a good chance to win. I mean, I guess as the head coach of the team, you're really not writing off your chances. You think like, no, we're going to get in the playoffs and we're going to we're gonna try and win it all. But, you know, if you're being realistic, that just isn't going to happen. And I think the Hawks have finally accepted that uh, – that reality and yeah I do like the Oregon pick of Dorsey that's the kind of guy that that's a low risk potentially high reward well yeah I mean he was their MVP in their elite eight win over Kansas so I like those types of players who play for schools that aren't like basketball powerhouses but he was a big part of Oregon suddenly making this run into the uh into the final four I like guys like that and yeah I mean Collins was projected to be a lottery pick and he fell I know it's kind of viewed as maybe a bit of a steal Mm -hmm. for Atlanta but still overall they weren't lottery picks they'd be good pieces maybe like if you already had like if the Hawks had Chris Paul and James Harden and then drafted Dorsey in the second round you're like now that's a guy that could end up coming in and fitting pretty nice, but Atlanta doesn't have that. They've still got a long way to go there, and it doesn't appeal. It doesn't appear that they appeal to free agents, so they've just they've got to they've got to do it in the draft. All I know is I'm pretty excited about going to Phillips Arena now and getting a haircut while I watch the process unfold. Yeah. Now, what's uh, <laughs> Sir Foster going to do? Is he going to stick it out with oh, them? Oh, my or? man, Sir Foster's in for the long haul. Okay, for sure. good. No question about that. All right, he's Chris Brame. I'm Sam Franco. That'll wrap up this edition of the Crossover Podcast right here on 960theref.com. Join us every week where we'll have plenty more talk throughout the summer. We'll definitely have the, uh, what is it, list season right now, so I'm sure we'll get into stuff like that coming up here over the next couple of weeks. SEC Media Days are like two weeks oh, two weeks from now. That's the week right. after next are SEC Media That's Days. That's right, so we'll have that to get into and much more right here on the Crossover Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Check us out every week on 960theref.com. You've been listening to The Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brain on 960theref.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.